This is Jeff Postaway, Senior Editor for TND World. Welcome to the Lime Life Podcast. We're bringing you stories of the grit, courage, and inspirational teamwork that it takes to be a line worker. And our guest for the April 2023 Lime Life Podcast is Alice Lockridge, who helped to prepare some of the first women line workers at Seattle City Light for a career in the line trade. In part two of our Women on the Line series, Alice shares tips on how utilities can attract, train, and retain women in the field workforce. Husky Tools is proud to announce Women of Power, a new socially conscious, proactive program that presents powerful women and promotes their accomplishments in various industries. It is our mission to create awareness around training and educational opportunities while promoting strong women throughout the world. Our ultimate goal is to continue to provide opportunities for the betterment of women everywhere. See more at huskytools.com backslash women of power. Hello and welcome to the Line Life podcast. My name is Amy Fishbach and I'm the field editor for Transmission and Distribution World magazine. Today I have the honor of talking with Alice Lockridge who worked as an exercise physiologist for Seattle City Light from 1988 until retirement. Alice, thank you so much for joining us today for the Lion Life podcast. Well, good morning, and thank you for having me. Alice, to begin, can you talk about the early part of your career when you worked as an exercise physiologist in the apprenticeship program at Seattle City Light? My entire career focused on helping people get and keep physically demanding jobs with my emphasis, of course, on helping women get into the trades. So I started at the fire department in the city of Seattle in the early 70s. And by 88, I was hired at Seattle City Light in the apprenticeship program. I was the subject matter expert for the physical demands of the line worker pre-apprenticeship program. Wonderful. Could you talk a little bit more about your responsibilities in that role? I could talk a lot about it. So my responsibilities were to help recruit, which meant teach people that had no idea what apprenticeship or line worker jobs were about and tell them about what the physical part of it would be like. And I held workshops in the evening and on weekends and had hundreds of people come in and in those days watch slides of pictures of the people that did the job, took of themselves and each other doing the job so people could see what it looked like over the top of the trees in Seattle and out in the field and doing work and the things they lifted. Then we would go to the gym and practice the physical uh, entrance level tests, which included starting with a chin up and uh, the grip test and all the other things that were involved in our physical test to get into. Our hiring first step is a pre-apprenticeship, which is a paid job for six months and all the people that graduate have direct entry into a three-year apprenticeship. So once they were hired into the apprenticeship for the first, the pre-apprenticeship for the first six months, they worked out with me in the gym three days a week for three hours to prepare for the graduation test. And all those things that we had determined by measuring the job to see if they could actually do it and had the physical capacity to learn the skills. There's two things about uh, skill. If you can't do it, one is you may not be physically able, and then you have to be mentally taught so that your hands and feet and arms can do 
put to work what they're able to do. So that was my job for the first six months and then test them again and graduate them into the apprenticeship. And Alice, can you talk about the importance of physical fitness in the line trade? Well, like most of the jobs that I helped with and most of the jobs that we think about when we think, oh, I don't know if I could do that. There's a physical component. Every apprentice comes to work with uh, a body and uh, their body helps them get through the day and get up and come back again tomorrow. So being able to do the job, doing the job without wearing yourself out and hurting yourself so that you can continue and be successful in the job is uh, a line worker characteristic and a lot of other jobs too. So I was hired to help the pre-apprentices they went out to the field and they went to a learning lab the rest of the day when they weren't with me. And on Tuesdays and Thursdays, they were in the field all day. The job is hard and uh, things are heavy, especially in 1988 when I started. Lots of those things have been improved and made lighter. And uh, But you have to get yourself up the pole to work with while carrying tools and getting tools sent to you. So there's lots of those kind of demands on a body. Thank you, Alice. And you had said that you knew some of the women who were hired on in the first class at Seattle City Light in 1972. I know that was a little bit before your time working there, but can you talk about what it was like working with these women in the line trade? When I was hired in 88, they'd been there 15 years and they were already in much more advanced jobs. There were 10 women hired in that first class, and they were called uh, electrical trainees. And they it was a very public hiring. Uh, the city of Seattle really wanted to not get involved in lawsuits like other cities were uh, involved in, where women were suing them for not getting hired. So they hired a woman to recruit, and she uh, caused 350 women to apply and come and test to get in the job. And she caused, with HR, to, uh, 10 people to be hired. And those 10 women all um, worked together uh, in their first few years. And it was very political at the time. They were interviewed and on the newspaper, in the newspaper and in interviews and uh in fact, the whole program was shut down before they uh, promised amount of time, and then they were brought back, and uh, newspaper reporters were there, and these women went to city council meetings, and it was a rambunctious group of people, and they were all, not all alike, but they all worked together pretty well. Uh, lots of them retired from the city by the time I was just establishing myself there. So one of the first things I knew about them is one of them was there the first day I was walked around to see where I was going to be working. And she passed us and was introduced to me. And she looked at me very sternly. And she was afraid I was going to be part of the system to keep women out. And she virtually threatened me to not to understand that you didn't have to be Wonder Woman to do this job. And I was able to calm her down and say, yeah, I'm going to use science to help measure and prove when people can do the job and help back them. And 
she was calmed and uh, we got along a long time after that. That's really fascinating. So out of these 10 women, did all of them make it through the apprenticeship and go on to become journeyman line workers? That would be a sweet story, but that's not how it worked. In fact, they were all fired within a few weeks and sued to get their job back. And even the woman that hired them sued to get her job back, and that took even longer. But lots of them did. I wouldn't want to quote the number, but everybody could read their story. The longest surviving people have written a book, and it's called High Voltage Women. And it's easily available, and I can give you information about how to get that book I've given lots of those to other people in other jobs and in line worker jobs all over the country. So the ones that did make it through and got their jobs back, what do you think it took for them at that time to be successful as line workers? Because obviously the culture is a lot different back then than it is today. I'm not so sure it's that different. Uh, People aren't saying the same things out loud to them. And the difference between covert and overt aggression. The people that don't want them there that are in the trade have been trained of what not to say, Uh, but there's lots of things to sabotage each other anyway. So what's different, one of the things that they all agreed on early and, and is written in the book is that they were chosen partly because they had backgrounds that they weren't accepted in. They weren't skipping in, twirling their pigtails thinking everybody was going to like them. And they were okay if people said, why are you here? And they were able to stand on their own two feet and do their job. And they also really supported each other, even though they didn't all particularly like each other. And Alice, I had a great conversation with Susan Blazer, who I know Uh, is a good friend of yours. And she was saying that the culture, like you said, the culture still needs to change at utilities Uh for more women to be in the trade and to be successful in the trade. How do you think that the culture can change? First thing, there ought to be a rule against ever hiring one woman at a time. Okay. That's That's a sure way to uh, drown her and virtually prove that women can't do it. This class, for instance, 10 women were hired and 10 women made it through all their difficulties together and pulled with each other. I can't say that two is a magic number. I like three. Uh, We used to hire at City Light in a way that it was divided up because this affirmative action was outlawed in Seattle in 2000. But before that, our classes were made up of about a third of the 12 or so in the class would be female, and about a third were people of color, and sometimes it was women of color. And then the the other third was anybody or majority white males. And that was a really successful formula. First of all, don't put a token out by themselves to represent all of their gender or their race. That's where I'd start. That's kind of what I've seen, though, is that a lot of utilities are hiring their first woman, even today. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Yeah. I see celebrations on LinkedIn and all kinds of places where the newspaper comes and takes a picture of the one woman by herself. And sometimes she can make it even. (laughs) So in the first class that I was involved in, there were 12 people in the class. 
and there are four of those people were women. And one was, as far as we know, the first African-American woman line worker ever. Her name is Nettie Dokes, and uh, she became a, an apprentice and became a journey level worker and became, uh, <laughs> she was my manager. So I was her gym teacher when she started. And by the mid time of her career, she was the manager of the apprenticeship office. She lives in California now and is training three apprentices, mostly women, in a program called Winter in California. And then, Alice, what do you think are some of the challenges that today's women face when becoming line workers? Oh, what clothes to wear, how to find clothes that fit, how to get safety gear that's made for their shape and size. Sometimes their hands are smaller than the gloves. I once got a phone call from a woman line worker apprentice in the East Coast, like North Carolina or someplace, and she sent me a picture of her doing work and and I could see her red fingernail polish. And she wanted to show me because she had a guy take a picture of her working and he didn't know what he was showing me, but she had no gloves. They said they didn't make gloves smaller than an eight. Hot gloves. So, you know, I went to our stock at City Light and pulled out a pair and mailed them to her. So starting with gear to wear, jeans to wear, when City Light employees go to the meeting to pick up their FR clothes that are fire retardant. They need to have women's shapes and women's sizes for lots of people to, to get the fit that's comfortable and safe. The other thing has come up, and I'll talk about it in different links later, but if somebody really wanted to recruit, they would follow what the state of Washington and the city of Seattle have done, and they have taken gender out of the job titles. Because if you want to welcome me to come to a job or even have me look at it online or in a document, and it says journeyman line men, it doesn't say welcome, Alice. <laughs> it doesn't say we want you here. So the state of Washington in 1999 uh, made it a law. It's a discrimination to advertise or use in articles job titles that are gender based. So we don't say foreman. We don't say journeyman. We don't say lineman. We don't say wireman. And we don't say waitress. And we don't say fireman or postman because those people aren't all men. So if somebody's telling me, I get contacted like my company's going, could you help us figure out how what we're doing so that we can get, we're in trouble for something and we have to get more women. And I usually start with, send me your documents. How do you advertise? Let me see what your graphics look like. And it all says, we only want boys. <laughs> in vague words. But women uh, can read that in the wording. Some people are um, pioneers. And I had pioneer women come from the East Coast and walk to Kansas and become homesteaders. So I know about pioneers. And some women are pioneer women. The women I've talked about so far are pioneers, including Susan. And other people, other people really are going to wait around because they're much more comfortable being settlers. You know, like Ma on Little House on the Prairie, she was a settler. She wasn't a gun-toting, stagecoach-riding. They're trail cleaner uppers. 
that something in their system says, no, 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 I don't want to do that. I don't want to be looked at that hard. I mean, you can't imagine how many days Nettie Dokes was pulled off a crew to stand in front of a TV camera and be asked about what it's like to be a line worker. And what it's like to go back to the crew and everybody taught you for don't you think you're smart. You always have the TV cameras here and you always get to go to Washington, D.C. and talk to the president's wife. And so it became another hurdle to be the only. So that's a good way to drown a woman too. put her in the paper. And then you had talked about the job title. So that's something I've been interested in. So you know, the designation when you top out is journeyman lineman. No, it isn't. Not in the state of Washington. Is it just a line worker or is it journey level line worker or what is the title? Yeah, they're journey level line journey workers. Journey level line workers. Or journey. Yeah. What level are you at? I'm at journey. I'm not an apprentice. I'm not a pre-apprentice. I'm ready to journey. I'm at journey. Okay. No, that's interesting. And then going back to what makes women successful. So Susan said that she had to really learn rigging and uh -huh. that helped her quite a bit. What else have you seen over the years? And of course they have the bucket trucks now, so they don't all have to always climb the poles, but what else has helped women to be more successful? Do you think? So I, as a recruiting persona, invented a group called Naughty Women. And okay, tell me more. I, have, I go to high school career days with a big banner with big cartoon eyes and eyelashes and the words naughty women and naughty is spelled with a K. And at the booth, I have people come and mostly the women will stop and we tie knots. And I do knots about that they've done in their hair and on ribbons and on strings and sewing and in gardening and show them how those are the first steps because I think. The first day you get at a crew, at least you could run over to the truck and tie a load down and not get yelled at. <laughs> so yeah. being able to not just tie a lot, but tie a real knot is a great way for an entry-level worker to make oh, her way into the job. So naughty women, we practice bolins and all kinds of other knots that are used right away and makes you a good part of the crew on the ground at least. Then knowing how to use your body weight is a very important skill. Like if I had to hoist a bucket of tools up to you up a pole, if I try to do it with just my wrist strength and my grip strength and my biceps, it won't make it up to you 40 feet. But if I know how to sit down and use my weight of my behind to make that load go up, I am a better worker and a longer worker and a less hurt worker. So learning about how to use my body is the kind of thing that I could have learned at a recruitment event. We used to have trucks before COVID that would go to grade schools and high schools and they were called hard hat heroes. And you can imagine a line truck puts a rope up over something on the boom and lets people practice hoisting something to see what the job is like and learn where you stand and how do you get out of the way of the bucket falling and things. So there are lots of basic skills about learning how to use my body and learning how to be a help at the crew right away. And what about height? Because women are typically a little bit shorter than men. How do they kind of compensate for that, do you think, on a job site? Well, 
if I'm climbing a pole and doing a job at the end of the cross arm, all I have to do is climb up farther. I myself is short and I've done that on a pole. And because it doesn't matter, I crawled up on the cross arm and scooted out there to get the cross arm load put down. That it isn't what you really do on a crew, but there are ways to scurry into a job position. Lots of women have told me when they worked with a taller man, they fit together better on the pole because their feet are at the same height. So if I'm mm. shorter, my feet are up closer to the work and out of the way of those great big feet of the guy that's doing the work with me. <laughs> my hand goes into little places that they can't. There's a need for both size people. Diversity in thought, diversity in experience, and diversity in body size are all of value. And Alice, what's your advice as far as what to do and what not to do when training women to work in this trade? Men and women aren't exactly alike, and any two people aren't exactly alike. If you're going to train anybody, I'm a lifelong teacher. I've always said I started teaching when I was 11 months old because that's when my little sister was born, and she would <laughs> agree. Yeah. <laughs> I've taught her everything she knows, but not everything I know. And she's the one that taught me that as a teacher, you have to be able to adjust. If the lesson you have planned isn't working, it's not necessarily the learner's fault. I have to have another way to present that same information for a different person or this person today. So stereotypically, women are better readers and they will read written work and better than men and don't always need just a visual picture of it. They also, personality stereotypically are different, and we respond really well to positive feedback and not very well to bit and yell that and curse that. So there are lots of things that a good teacher would know. I don't think you have to know it's a line worker trainer, but very few programs have I ever seen where they evaluate the training skills of the crews that are training apprentices. And when the apprentice doesn't learn, all the blame is put on the learner. And that should change. And Alice, you had mentioned that some of the physical evaluations can drive off women. Can you elaborate on that? Oh, stereotypically, women don't think they can do a chin-up. And in our test, that's the very first physical station. And I've had the fun of taking women athletes who are college basketball players and shot putters and things and them say, oh, yeah, I can't do a chin-up. And they were, nobody ever tried to teach somebody. So that was another thing that it, most of our lives, we were point, the station to do a chin-up was pointed at and everybody groaned and the people that were able to do it did a lot and nobody broke down the skill. So there's strength and skill to doing a chin-up also, just like cutting wire or tying a knot. So you can be taught how to do a chin-up. And the reason we use chin-ups is because it shows us that you can manage your body weight. If your feet slip off the pole, you can save your butt until help arrives or you get your feet back in the pole. So a chin-up is a fundamental view of whether or not you're in the position and physical condition to be able to start learning in a risky climbing position. And Alice, what do you think utilities can do to recruit women? Well, change their attitude and start wanting them and doing the things that people like me tell them to do all the time. Put women in the picture on their graphic. Uh, 
take the word man off of the advertisement logo and hold recruiting sessions that are selectively advertised for to get women to come in at first by themselves or with a group of women and give inside track from people that are experienced. And if you don't have any women in your department because you're 2023 and you still don't have any, there are former women line workers that travel all over the country and would love to come and talk to your women. <laughs> oh, I love that. Good idea. And how many women do you think are in the workforce right now in the electric utility industry? It's still advertised to be about 2%. At the height at City Light, our field crews, our two docks were 20% female. Yesterday, one of the students that I had in 1992 just topped out as a crew chief and just retired from City Light and went home. And Alice, what do you think it'll take to get more women into the line trade? Visiting schools. Kids need to hear about it when they're like in third and fourth grade because by junior high, chemicals change inside of bodies and women get to feeling that they can't and they're told they can't in all kinds of ways. So if I were in a town and I wanted to change that, then I would make sure that some of the time spent taking a truck and talking to people at a grade school and a junior high and not waiting until college career day and trying to say, not everybody has to go to college. That just is all negative. You need to be there when they're fourth graders and say, here, grab this rope. Do you think you can tie a knot? It's a totally changed attitude. The way it's being done now just reeks of, we don't really want you. So you're saying start early mm -hmm. before they're even thinking about college, because that's one thing Susan said, too, is like there's so much focus on college and not yeah. as much on the trades for men and women. And because everybody at a school went to college, that's the only path they know. I only went to college when I got hired at City Light. I never even knew what apprenticeship was. I could have done this. I came off a farm in Kansas driving a combine. I could have done this. So I'm in Kansas City. Where did you grow up? 350 miles from you, right in the middle of Kansas. Tiny little town called St. John. I'm a fifth generation farm owner. <laughs> I went to KU <laughs> and I married an aerospace engineer and he could have gone to Downey, California or Seattle and we came to Seattle. So what do you see in the future for women in this trade as far as opportunities? Oh, I was going to say a hard struggle. They're not welcome yet. Lots of things have to change. That one woman that you hire at your utility doesn't recruit anybody. She doesn't bring her basketball playing friends or softball friends. She doesn't bring them because in her head and what she's told me, lots of them all over the country is, I don't know one single person I dislike enough that I would put them in this position. I don't know if I can do it one more day. I get calls every day. It isn't just about recruiting. It isn't just about the picture. It isn't because I can't get my butt up the pole fast enough. People are hurting women at work. And then they don't recruit their friends. That's really hard to hear. Yeah, it's hard to take the phone call, but I'm the one to do it. So how can women find utilities that are open to them? They have to listen to their gut as they're reading the brochure or looking at the ad online. 
and call HR and ask at least one question. I would ask, what's your diversity percentages for women to men and women of color to women? Mm -hmm. So they might say, yeah, we have a woman. Really? How many line worker men do you have? 500? That's just a place to start. Do you want to be a pioneer or do you want to be a settler? Mm -hmm. Are you Annie Oakley or Ma? (laughs) (laughs) That's a great, great comparison. And then what about social media? How does that help women who are currently in the trade? Do you think I heard Uh, about line ladies, for example? Yeah, I have a line worker page also. And so people look it around, Google it, find it, go onto groups, talk to them, ask real questions. Most places, you better have a support group at home that could support you because you won't find it at work. And you won't find it in HR because those women don't have a clue how you're doing this and not really sure they're not frightened, frightened of you. <laughs> so the people that I know that made it through the toughest times have a support system set up at home. It's their sisters or their parents or their spouse. And there's lots of layers of it and somebody to babysit for them and somebody to, you know, answer the phone at night and somebody to make them lunch and somebody to hear them cry. I get phone calls that are people coming out of work crying that they're going to quit tomorrow. And uh, I help them realize that quitting isn't really what they want to do. And they can make it one more day until payday. You sound like you're really an inspiration to them. And then (laughs) what about for like moms. So I've thought about that a lot. So I have five kids and, you know, Susan said she does too. And I've been thinking, you know, how do you balance that? Because I know, you know, when you work as a line worker, it's not a nine to five job. I mean, you can get called out in the middle of the night, sometimes for weeks away on Uh storms. So how have you seen women handle that? Some handle it very well and some handle it poorly. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. um, just like everything about being a parent, you're not always right. And you're doing the best you can with what you know right now. And you need to talk and you need to have that support system at home and babysitters and food makers and people to listen to you cry before you get home to take care of your family. They do it just like every woman has ever done it. Like my great, great grandparents that walked from Ohio behind an ox cart. You just figure out how you'd make food while you're walking in a wet dress. You know, I don't know Mm -hmm. how they do it. I'm proud of them that they do it, though. Absolutely. And what kind of opportunities do you think there are for women in the line trade right now? Open jobs? Lots. Opportunity for a woman, the door isn't open very wide. Uh, Mm -hmm. The right women pioneers will still be kicking doors in and answering Questions like I did all the time. Line workers, I would go to watch somebody doing some kind of training in pole climbing and line workers would stop me physically and say, what the hell are you doing here? And, Mm -hmm. you know, I have a smart mouth. (laughs) I would say, my job, why don't you move (laughs) over so I could get in there and do it. But uh, if I could change, uh, train women early enough, if I could train fourth graders that were in Girl Scouts that wanted to be in the trades, I would do a comeback class. I would teach them to come back, how to say come back, because bullies aren't the brightest guys on the dock. And so they'll say the same thing twice. So I get calls all the time. Alice, this guy said this to me. 
And so then we practice what she's going to say next time because he's not going to say a new thing. He's going to use that again because it made her cry the first time. <laughs> mm-hmm. So uh, having an answer, having a response is a first way of defense. Uh, and it doesn't have to be curse words and it doesn't have to be disrespectful, but just having something to say when your eyes are filling up with tears and your throat is closing. It's just bully prevention. And uh, I would tell everybody that if they haven't seen it, to watch the old classic 1930s or 40s movie, uh, Gaslight, to start. Mm -hmm. Because in that movie, you see how it happens. And if you're learning how to work with electricity and your trainer isn't what I call a willing trainer, you could be sabotaged in your learning right before your eyes. Alice, thank you so much for your time and joining us for the Lion Life podcast. We love having you on the show. Well, thank you. I love helping teach people. I did this for 30 years at City Light, and I don't want to leave the world with all this information in my head. I want to share it. So anybody that wants to contact me through your program, uh, I don't think you're bothering me. I want to share it. So please let me know if you have a question that came up. Thank you so much, Alice. Yes, thank you. Bye. Husky Tools has the widest selection of line worker tools and equipment across every essential utility category. Born and raised in Chicago, Husky features the largest assortment of hydraulic cutting and compression tools powered by the industry's most powerful battery platforms. Husky Tools, line worker proven and utility approved since 1976. See us at huskytools.com and mention this podcast and we'll throw you a new Husky Tools shirt. This episode of the Lion Life podcast was written, recorded, and edited by Amy Fishbot. It was produced by Jeff Postlewood. That's me. To listen to past episodes, please visit tdworld.com backslash podcasts or find us on Spotify by searching for Lion Life. You can also drop us a message at limelifepodcast, all one word, at gmail.com with your comments on this episode. We'd love to hear from you. And please follow this show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to be updated on when new episodes are released. Just head to the show description and see where you can find us on social media. Thank you for listening to the Lime Life Podcast.